The gym is not therapy. I hate that saying so, so, so much. As someone who used to use that saying, like the gym is my therapy, my workouts are my therapy. That's just not true. Therapy is therapy. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Joelle Cavanero. Joelle left teaching in 2019 to pursue launching her own coaching business. Now, Joelle is the CEO of Level 10 Coaching, an evidence-based health and fitness coaching company. She is the co-owner of Fit Coach Pro, an all-in-one client management platform for fitness coaches. Joelle was one of the first fitness coaching businesses to offer psychotherapy and mental health solutions along with her fitness and nutrition services. This was really the crux of the majority of our conversation was this interplay and connection between physical health and mental health. This has been something that's become more to light in the last decade or so, but to be able to put this into a formalized practice and offer these services to people that may be struggling with behavior change is a huge game changer for Joelle. And I was fascinated by both her take on this particular area, both in her personal life, but also in the way that she addresses this with her team and the way they then address it with their clients. This was such an interesting podcast for me, and I know you're going to learn a ton. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Joelle Cavanero, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Super excited having you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I have been following your stuff for quite a little while, and your content and page and business was suggested to me through um, a mutual friend or acquaintance, acquaintance of sorts in Sean Pastouche. Yeah, and he was like, "You would love to have her on the podcast. I feel like you two would be able to have an amazing conversation." So that is my number one priority. So here yeah. we are. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, so you have your master's in exercise physiology. Yeah. And you were a health in, and PE teacher, yes. correct? Yes. We've done a little bit of a, a career divot since then. But yeah, started as a health and PE teacher teaching high school and uh, in New York City public schools, nonetheless. I got lots of stories for you. And, uh, and as a teacher here in New York, you actually have to do a master's degree. I don't, I'm not sure if it's, I'm not, I don't know what other states are like that everywhere, but as a teacher in New York, you have to do a master's degree within five years of getting your uh, teaching degree to keep your teaching license. Um, so actually before I even started teaching, I said, I'm just going to do my master's now and went right kind of back to back with undergrad, uh, took one undergrad, uh, exercise science class for health and PE and just fell in love with exercise science. And I was like, I'm doing my master's in this. This has to be what I study further because this is so cool. Um, so yeah, ended up doing my master's, um, took a graduate assistantship, to do sort of an accelerated master's program that was sort of this hybrid program between grad student and grad assistant. So you were kind of like running labs and working uh, full time as a grad assistant while also doing your you know grad school classes and whatnot. So then I went into teaching. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't want to throw your old school by any means under under the bus here, but I do have to ask you because I feel like this is a really pertinent question. How well do you think you were able to be both enthusiastic but also kind of complementary in your skill sets that you gain from the exercise physiology side of things in your application as a PE teacher or do you think you were bogged down by curriculum? 
So that's a really great, great question. Um, honestly, I, I feel like I had um, a good amount of freedom, more freedom than I thought I would. Um, almost a little too much freedom because when you walk in as a first year teacher, you're kind of hoping that someone gives you some sort of curriculum to say, here, go teach this to the kids. And I remember walking in as a first year teacher and they're just like, yeah, teach what you want. And I was like, okay, that is equally kind of fantastic, but also very overwhelming because I've never done this before and I don't know where to start. Um, so I, I taught more health classes than PE classes. I will, I will say health, um, health education was more so my bread and butter than phys ed. Um, I just found, you know, it, you probably remember high school PE. You had some kids who were super freaking into it and like, you know, volleyball, dodgeball, whatever for life, going hard, sweating, needing a shower post, you know, post, uh, post phys ed. And then you have other kids who are just, they're sitting there. They're like, I'll take the F miss. It's cool. I don't want to participate. I don't want to get changed. I don't want to go into the locker room. It's, it's cool. Um, but I find high schoolers and health, when we can talk sex, drugs, rock and roll, they're really excited to be there. Um, <laughs> so course. I just found a different level of motivation for high school, uh, sorry, for health students versus PE. So I definitely gravitated more toward the PE side. I will say I did have the pleasure of being able to kind of work as a strength and conditioning coach with the high school football team, which was a really cool opportunity. And also did get to teach athletic training classes, sports intro to sports med classes. Um, we had this cool sector at our school where basically kids could go into a, a major basically in, in high school. So there was a culinary department and there was also a personal training department where these kids would go through a curriculum as high school students and take intro to sports med and intro to weight training and things like that. And at the end of their four years, take a personal training certification exam. So I got to be a part of that prep. So I will say probably my health and PE curriculum experience was not the norm uh, because I was brought on partly to help run that program um, of giving kids more specific health, fitness, exercise advice. So I, I would say I got to apply a good bit of it and wasn't too tied to curriculum that I didn't want to follow. That's actually incredibly refreshing to hear Yeah, because I would say on average, I, I get the opposite, yes, which is I'm sure. I, I was very, very bogged down with red tape and curriculum and was unable to kind of express myself in a way that I felt I could do the most good inside of my yeah. yeah Look, there school. there are definitely limitations, you know, outside of just the time constraints, there are limitations in, uh, you know, projects, in grading things, um, in, you know, politics of a school and in, in, in administration. Um, so there are some limitations there, but for the most part, um, you know, the school was really good about, or at least my athletic director was really good about like, you find the, the cert, you know, the, the personal training certification that you would want them to take, like, you know, go research NASM and, and, you know, ACSM and all these different ones. And you tell us what textbook we should get for these kids so that we can teach for that exam. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did have a good opportunity there, but, um, I think just anytime you're teaching in a public school, there are limitations. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, um, you know, strength and conditioning is still relatively a new field. Mm. And I think it has come a very long way. But there's a question I have to ask here, which is being a business owner and, and in a gym owner that has employed plenty of female employees, I have found that on average, it can be more difficult for a female in the strength mm. and conditioning setting, especially amongst you mentioned the football team. Did you feel like you met any resistance and how were you able to overcome that? Yeah. I mean, luckily I feel like I came into, you know, I look back and I was like, here, I was this little, you know, fresh teacher off the, you know, right out of school and, you know, right out of my degrees and certifications. And you walk into a, you know, a high school where there's multiple health teachers, multiple phys ed teachers, lots of them, you know, my dad's age, you know, who have been there for, for 20, 30 years at the school. And, um, and a lot of them, uh, as much as I very much love them dearly, a lot of them had health and phys ed majors. And that was really the extent of their continuing ed. You know, they did the continuing ed that they needed to do uh, to keep their licensure and things like that. Um, but a lot of the the other teachers um, didn't have additional 
education or certification in, you know, kinesiology or exercise science or strength and conditioning or personal training. And so I was kind of in a unique position where I wasn't very challenged by some of my other peers because they didn't have the credentials that I had. Um, If anything, I think it more so made me the go-to person for for some of those questions and concerns. Um, And so the football coach who's a friend of mine, he was, you know, he was another PE teacher at the school um, coaching. And he'd say, you know, I I would sometimes stay after school to lift weights um, in our school weight room. And, uh, and the kids would just, they'd have sometimes lifts in there for football practice. And they'd start asking me questions. And he'd be like, go ask Mrs. C, you know, go ask Mrs. C, go, go see what she has to say. And then it became, you know, miss, can you look at my deadlift form? Miss, can you look at my squat form? And it kind of just, uh, sort of transitioned into me being able to help and assist in those, uh, in those areas. So I will say, luckily I was not, um, negatively challenged in those ways. I was, I was thrown into a position that allowed me, you know, the opportunity to thrive in those positions because there weren't other people um, at the school who could offer those services, so to speak. No, that makes me really happy to hear. I mean, and I think it's really important that women continue to emerge in this space and and make their names known and be able to make a severe impact. So I'm really happy that that was your experience, you know, and along with that, you know, I don't think you have the traditional kind of hero's journey when it comes to Mm -hmm. leaving the school system, because a lot of the people that I talked to that went the route of working for themselves and seeking kind of an entrepreneur, uh, you know, focus come from a place of leaving something they hated. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't sound like you left on bad terms. Yeah, I really didn't. And and it was, it was the hardest decision, man, that I have ever made. Because if you had asked me, you know, for a really long time, I ran my health and fitness coaching business on the side of teaching. It was kind of like, you know, my, my side hustle, so to speak. I coached a few clients on the side. It started as in-person personal training. When I went to college and I was away, I didn't have the capacity to coach those people in person anymore. So it transitioned to online very organically before online coaching really was a, was a thing. Um, and so over the years, I would just kind of keep a few clients online on the side of college, on the side of teaching and so on. Um, and I continued to post content on Instagram. I continued to share my, my journey, my health and fitness journey on Instagram and, uh, and people wanted to work with me (laughs) and, uh, you know, being a full-time teacher, I was really limited in the amount of clients that I could take. And, uh, and so I taught for four years in, in this high school that I worked at and you're right. I did not leave a job I hated, um, which almost was harder, (laughs) which almost was harder because if you hated your job, you'd at least more so have one foot out the door. I was in this really unique position of like, I love teaching and I love coaching and I just want to be able to help more people. And I, I I don't know what that route is. Does that mean staying in a school setting where I could help hundreds of kids per year? Or does that mean, you know, moving full time into a one on one setting and helping adults instead of kids, but, you know, people who really want to be there versus, you know, sometimes going to school and having a lot of unmotivated children that that don't want to be there. Um, and so I did really feel uh quite the pull between the two. Um, And by the time I got to my fourth year of teaching, I had just gotten tenure. I literally got my tenure and left. (laughs) Um, So I I got tenure, um, worked really, really hard for it. And um, and that same year, uh, there were kind of two things happening simultaneously. One, my side hustle, so to speak, was growing. Like Instagram was growing. It was bringing in lots of clients. And I had to cap my own personal roster um, during the school year because it was just it was just too much for me. Um, so I started capping that roster and waitlisting people. And by the time I made the decision to leave teaching, I had about 150 people on a one-on-one waitlist to work with me. And I was like, this is really cool humble, humbling, but overwhelming. You know, what do I do with all of these people? And I was very against like group coaching at the time and, and eBooks. I just knew that like to really serve people, I liked one-on-one. I thought that I could provide the best service, you know, customization and personalization. I could provide the best quality in a one-on-one setting. And so I wasn't really willing to give up one-on-one um, just to kind of meet the demands of, of the wait list. And so that was one thing that was happening. The other thing that was simultaneously happening was my health was really not in a great place. Um, 
at, at the time. You know, I I went from eating disorder to bodybuilding to fitness modeling uh, to, you know, no rest days, the grind never stops, lifting at 4 a.m., fasted seven days a week, cardio, lifting, all the things. Um, and I just really ran my body into the ground, to, to put it fairly simply. Uh, missing menstrual cycles, you know, red S, um, ended up getting a PCOS diagnosis, um, had all sorts of hormonal issues going on, and that was just... Uh, that was also happening in that that final school year. So I had this weird kind of uh, these two different paths happening of my health really not being in a great place and school partly contributing to that stress while my side hustle, which is also partly in some way contributing to the stress, rapidly, rapidly growing and me feeling like I'm being pulled in a million different directions. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't like to make light of the decision to leave teaching because it was not, uh, an easy or quick decision. Uh, my husband is a financial advisor. So you could imagine like the two of us sitting there making spreadsheets and crunching numbers of, you know, okay, well, what is your salary worth? And what is your insurance benefits worth? And what about your pension? And what about your TDA? And all of these different aspects of, of the financial component. Um, and, you know, at, at some point we got to it, you know, got down to it and said, hey, it, do you think you can make X amount Um in, in your side business, right? Taking it full time in order to make up for salary, insurance, benefits, blah, blah, blah. And I said, if, if that is what you tell me that I need to make to break, to, to break even, or that's what I need to make to make this work, I will do that. Um, and so, you know, the, the decision that I ended up obviously coming to was leaving teaching, but one partly because I, didn't feel like my health was going to get better if I remained in that school setting, uh, sort of, you know, partly from a stress standpoint. Um, and I just really had this fire lit under me about coaching and wanting to continue that coaching traje trajectory and, and how fast it seemed to be growing um, with little effort. And it really made me wonder, you know, if I if I put my full effort into this, what what could that look like? Um, me putting my full effort into anything has never failed me. So let's let's try that. Um, and the last sort of piece of that decision was, uh, hey, at the time, we have no kids, we have no house, we were renting, you know, an apartment in New York City, we're in our 20s, we're like, hey, if there's ever a time to try this, it is now. And once I realized that worst case scenario was going back to a job I loved, I was like, all right, let's try it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there, there was a lot that went into that decision. Um, and, and I, I don't, uh, I'm not someone that, that often encourages other people to leave their stable jobs because I know that it doesn't always, you know, pan out to be great for everyone. So I, I like to emphasize that it was a really, really deliberate decision with lots of conversations and, and lots of time, um, you know, spent around those conversations and whatnot. But ultimately, uh, you know, obviously it led, it led to the path of me leaving teaching. Um, and yeah, leaving a job that I loved that still had its, had its downfalls. Um, but, but nonetheless was, was a job I loved, but I just felt more pulled to coaching and felt way more valued is really the best way that I could put it way more valued by my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients, um, than the, lack of value that, that I felt by administration, by students, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm going to correct myself in real time here. I, uh, I think that you did have a hero's journey. It was just adjacent to your experiences mm -hmm. and career as a teacher. It was, a you know, in part, some of your own personal experiences you were going through, as you mentioned with the eating disorders and some of the things that came by the way of your own, uh, fitness. And, you know, one of the things I, I fully try to embody is that we're, we're in the best position to serve ourselves five years ago mm. and people yeah. that, that are like that, you know? And I, so how has your experiences with your own health and fitness put you in a position to be able to best serve those that you're coaching? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm really transparent uh, and honest about the different aspects that I've, uh, of my health and fitness journey that I've gone through. I've been sharing on Instagram, you know, the last decade or so. And so a good bit of my following has seen me, you know, and my transitions through all of that. 
you know, some of it being eating disorder, some of it being fitness modeling, some of it being uh, PCOS, some of it being my fertility journey, some of it being, you know, getting pregnant with my daughter, um, having her, you know, going through then postpartum and what fitness looked like postpartum. And so I've had the pleasure of being able to share all of that. And I'm sure as you can imagine, each time you share different parts of that journey, um, different types of people begin to resonate with that content. And so, you know, for every person that doesn't resonate with your, you know, you being a mom now on Instagram, there's another person who does, you know, relate to you more and your content does resonate more now because you're a mom. And so I think what's kind of happened over the years is that as I've shared certain parts of my journey, not only has it one equipped me and my team to better handle uh, clients who may have, may be or have walked a similar path, um, but it also tends to attract some of those clients. Um, you know, when I share my PCOS journey, we'd get more clients who who would apply, you know, to, to work with us and had PCOS. When I was pregnant, you know, we'd get more people apply to work with us who, who were also pregnant women. Um, and so it has allowed us to further, you know, certainly further my own education, but, you know, now we've been able to build a team over at Level 10, our coaching company, and all of us have different specialties. And so, that was very intentional in the hiring process that we all kind of have different niches, so to speak, within our coaching. Some of us are strength and conditioning coaches. Some of us are PhDs in exercise, some of the, in exercise science. Some of us are registered dietitians. Some of us are pre and postnatal coaches. Some of us are on the hormone gut autoimmune side. Some of us are on the more, uh, you know, kinesiology, uh, you know, strength and conditioning side. So everyone sort of on our team has, has their own specialties here. And I think that, uh, part of my, eclectic health and fitness journey, so to speak, um, has allowed us to continue growing and educating ourselves so we could best serve those clients that come to us who are also walking a similar path. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect segue into, you know, I, I think anyone that starts a business in the fit, fitness industry understands that this is a very heavily saturated space, especially mm -hmm. um, as it relates to being on social media. And, you know, one of our, our goals in business here is, is to differentiate ourselves in that market. You know, what do you think makes level 10 so special and different, you know, different differentiates yeah. it from your competitors? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's a few things. Uh, there's a few things, Derek. I think First off, um, you know, 10, I always like to start with level 10, right? T-E-N, um, not the number. We actually like to spell it out, okay? Um, 10 is actually an acronym for training, education, and nutrition. So those were sort of the three pillars that level 10 was built on, so to speak. And so, you know, we want to educate people first and foremost, hello, retired teacher, um, on their training, their nutrition, uh, by taking as, you know, customized and personalized approach as we possibly can. Um, you know, another thing that really makes us different is, I believe, that educational component, you know, having resources for our clients, really educating our clients. Um, when a client checks in with us, let's say, um, you know, we do daily and weekly check-ins with our clients. So not only are we checking in with them once a week, it's not a, hey, good job, keep your same macros this week, see you next week. Um, you know, we are really diving into a slew of strengths, struggles, mindset, mental health, uh, gut health, menstrual health, uh, taking a really, really comprehensive full body approach to coaching. Um, and so one, you know, that that's another piece of it. The other piece of it is, I believe, you know, the, the credentials that come along with our coaches. So we've scaled now to a team of 10. And like I said, we have registered dietitians, strength and conditioning coaches, athletic trainers. Um, you know, we're in a really awesome position where we have just about someone for everyone, which is really, really cool. Um, and we place people with a coach that we will, you know, that we believe is best for them instead of just saying, oh, hey, you joined level 10, you get thrown in with this coach because that's, you know, who's who's next available. Um, we truly pair people based on credentials, experience, that coach's ideal client, um, and even personality type. You know, how does someone sound on the phone? Do they sound like they need the tough love coach? And we'll straight up ask people like, do you need a cheerleader? Do you need tough love? Like, what is it that you think you need? Because we, you know, want to match you accordingly. Um, so I think that pairing process is, is part of what makes things different as well. 
We're really thorough. Um, like I said, daily and weekly check-ins, we respond via vo via video or voice memo. Um, so a typical client check-in, you know, they're getting a 20 minute voice memo back from their coach running through their whole week. Um, you know, their whole week, their dailies, their biofeedback, everything. Um, like I said, everything is customized. So it's custom nutrition protocols, custom training protocols. Nothing is templated. Nothing is cookie cutter. Nothing is, you know, the same as, you know, two friends sign up from level 10 for level 10. They're going to have entirely different programs. They're not going to be sitting there, you know, comparing, Oh, we have the same workouts. Okay. Let's, let's do them together. You know, everything is going to be different and based on that client. Um, and the last thing that I think is a really big differentiator for level 10 is that we've introduced mental health services, um, into our coaching practice, which, I mean, I would love to see more, more coaching companies in the industry do this because I think it's such a, a gap in the industry and a missing link in the industry. Um, spoken like the daughter of a therapist, of course. Um, but, uh, but I was raised, you know, on, on valuing mental health because I grew up with a, a dad who was a social worker and a, a licensed psychotherapist. And, and so, you know, soon enough, once we got level 10, you know, up and running and had multiple coaches and whatnot, my dad and I really started to have conversations over, Hey, we think that there's a gap you might be able to fill here. Do you do you think you'd want to you know start to see some of our level ten clients, um, you know, and and fill some of those gaps? Because, uh, and I think I just saw this on a, a video of yours. You, you had posted something on Reels recently or somewhere in your posts about mental health and habit change. And that for a, a nutrition client who's struggling with their nutrition, you give them some tips and some things to do. And they're like meeting you back with excuses. And you're like, okay, so it's not really a nutrition issue. There's like a habit issue here. There's a mental health issue here. There's a mindset issue here. Um, and so we kind of, you know, very much see and understand that gap at, at level 10 and see that, hey, uh, if someone's mental health is not in a great place, they're never going to be able to get all of this done. They're not going, going to be able to make that habit change or they're not going to be able to get themselves to the gym or to value their health in the way that we, you know, certainly want them to. And so, um, adding mental health services was, was huge for us and really helped to fill that gap, um, you know, where people could have a, a place to talk to someone other than their coach, um, and actually speak to a mental health professional about their training, their nutrition, but, you know, things well beyond that as well, you know, that affect their stress, their coping skills, their anxiety, their depression, whatever else that happen to be playing a role in their, in the success of their health and fitness journey. So I would say that the mental health component and adding that service to, um, you know, to our health and fitness coaching is, is another big differentiator for us at level 10. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you hit on the importance of being vulnerable as a coach. And I think a huge part of that is a lot of people think that coaches don't go through the, the same problems mm. or deal with the same burdens that their clientele do. And the reality is we're often in a position to be able to serve them because we have dealt with exactly some of the yeah. same issues that they have. Um, one of the other things I saw on your page and you and I share this sentiment is, you know, for to, to be able to create a program, right. To the extent that you or I have, it comes by the way of, of a lot of effort, a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of money and the people you're able to serve, then it becomes more of an investment. So you spoke about seeing this as a value or people that value their health. And I think this is an important conversation to have because there is a massive difference between someone handing someone a program mm -hmm. on a sheet of paper and saying like, here you go, here's all the, the tips and tricks, good luck, versus, hey, let me basically handhold you through this process, yeah. be here to hold you accountable. Oh, by the way, help you pivot when things aren't working out. Oh, and be here when you, something happens in your life and maybe it throws you off, yeah. you know. How do you have that conversation with clients that come to you and they say, hey, I just left Planet Fitness. Like this seems very expensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I always like to make the comparisons of, of in-person coaching versus online coaching. There are some major differences. There are absolutely, I mean, you're a gym owner, right? You, you know that there are absolutely differences between the online space and the in-person space. And there are instances in which I say, hey, yeah, it really does sound like you need someone in person. It sounds like you would really thrive off of someone being there with you real time to correct form, to uh, help 
you know, hold you accountable in getting there to the gym because that seems to be a barrier for you and so on. From an online coaching standpoint, there is a level of comprehensiveness, um, at least, you know, I can speak for, for our company, there is a level of comprehensiveness that in-person often doesn't offer because there's that nutrition component, because there's that mindset component, um, you know, because there's that accountability component. And so, like you said, these clients are checking in, um, or like I mentioned before, they're checking in daily, they're checking in weekly. How did you do with your nutrition and everything you know, our, our goal is to meet the client where they're at. So, you know, I like to give this example. When clients first sign up to work with us, they fill out a member questionnaire, right? All about their goals, their preferences, their medical history, their schedule. And I'm sure you see this at your gym too, where, you know, someone signs up and they're like, I'm ready, right? Like they got this burst of motivation. It, it made them sign up. They're ready to go. And, uh, and it's, you know, it says on their questionnaire, like how many days a week would you like to exercise? And they're like seven days a week, twice a day, two hours a day. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give you all of me coach. And you're like, okay, that's great. Uh, but that's what got us into this pickle. So let's, let's back up a little bit here and let's take a look at your schedule and let's take a look at, uh, you know, when your kids get home from school and what time you have to leave from work and when we can actually fit the gym in and when it's going to feel good for us and how much sleep do we really get because that's going to be relevant to our recovery we can you know we can only work from what we can recover from and so on and so you know a lot of you know especially the onboarding process in and of itself has to be meeting the client where they're at. And so, you know, the, the person who, you know, just left their gym or they're looking for more, um, you know, those initial onboarding conversations are really to figure out, you know, we do a free consult call. Oops, I'm knocking my water over. Uh, we do a free consult call with anyone who applies to work with us because truthfully, not, not everyone is a great fit and we want it to be a great fit. Uh, if you are going to, you know, to make this investment in your health. And so, you know, I, I like to be clear over, you know, there's not one specific ideal client. It's not like we're saying, oh, you need to have experience if you want to come work with us, or you need to know what a macro is if you want to come work with us. It's none of that. It's a matter of, are you ready um, to be willing to unlearn certain behaviors? Are you willing to learn new behaviors? Um, and are you willing to let us walk you through that and hold your hand through that? Are you willing to communicate with us and be honest and open with us about where you're at mentally, physically, so that we can't meet you where you're at? Um, so I think ultimately when, when someone new comes to us, we try to ask as many questions as humanly possible instead of just preaching about what we do. Uh, we really want to want to get to know that client so we can figure out how we can get them from from point A to point B in a way that's going to be conducive to their schedule, their goals, their lifestyle, their family life, et cetera. Um, because ultimately we want it to be sustainable for them. You know, we, we want them to want us, but we don't want them to, to need us forever. So the goal is really to give the client all of the tools, all of the confidence, all of the knowledge to eventually be able to do this all on their own. Yeah. And I mean, part of a coach's job is to kind of vet out the people that aren't going to meet them 50%. Right. Because at the end of the day, we cannot do the work for the client. Right. Um, you know, someone, they need to be willing to step up for their health and make those incremental changes. However small, they still, there's still effort required on the, on the part of the client. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you grew up with a psychotherapist <laughs> and a father, um, you know, how how has that kind of shaped your perspective on fitness and health? Yeah. So uh, the the little bit of other backstory is that my dad was also a bodybuilder, right? So there's there's always been this uh, interplay between growing up in a health and fitness household, so to speak, um, while also having you know that therapy side of things and and. Uh, lots of analysis, right? As being the child of, of a therapist, right? You sometimes just go to have a conversation with your dad and he's like, so what I'm hearing is that you're feeling insecure about this. And I'm like, sometimes, sometimes you're just like, stop dad. Like, I just want to have like a father daughter conversation. Right. Um, so, you know, there's always those challenges, of course, but I think, um, you know, from a health and fitness standpoint, uh, 
in relation to mental health, certainly I have learned a lot over uh, the fact that, and this is probably the biggest takeaway that I will say, is that the gym is not therapy. Um, I, I hate that saying so, so, so much. Um, and I've come to hate that saying over the years uh, as someone who used to use that saying, like the gym is my therapy, my workouts are my therapy. Um, and that's just not true. Therapy is therapy. Uh, mental health uh, therapists are are who can provide therapy. You know, mental health professionals are who is, is providing therapy. Your workout is not your therapy. Um, and so that was a really, really big thing for me to learn, um, especially with struggling through my own hormone journey, which, you know, then needed to get my menstrual cycles back, wanted to start a family, all of that. And, uh, and one of the things that was hindering where I was at in terms of hormones and, and having a functional menstrual cycle and whatnot was really uh, not recovering well from the exercise that I was doing because I was only ever using exercise as a coping strategy. So I would do, you know, my workouts for uh, my health and do my, my workouts for my aesthetics, but I would also do my workouts for my stress that day or my anger that day or my emotions that day. And what it left me with was zero other coping strategies. And if you've ever had an injury or have had to take time off from the gym, and your one coping strategy is taken from you, it kind of puts you in a bind and you don't know how to cope. Um, and so when I had to ease up on training intensity and training frequency for the sake of my, my health and my hormones at the time, I was really in a very lost place um, because I, I didn't know how else to cope. Um, and so I remember having quite a few conversations with my dad around that time uh, over, you know, he would say to me, you know, you're, you're really struggling. I can, you know, hear that you're struggling with anxiety and depression and, and how were you coping before? And why don't you think those coping skills are working anymore? And I was like, it's a great question. Um, I coped with the gym and now I feel like I can't be in the gym as much because I need to do this for my health. And so it really opened up this book to needing to explore other avenues of coping skills and, um, you know, and stress management techniques and things like that. And so there, there is this massive interplay, certainly between mental health and, uh, and fitness and nutrition. And I do believe that they all feed into one another, right? We can't, we can't get to the gym or we can't take care of ourselves if we're not feeling mentally great enough to do so. There's, there's a lot of different, um, interferences there. Um, you know, we also see, uh, you know, certain aspects of identity or um, compliance and adherence play a role with fitness and nutrition um, based on how someone's self-esteem is or their self-confidence levels or how they feel about themselves. Um, so there's just, there's so much, there's, there's so many different aspects of mental health that have that interplay. Um, and I think that my dad luckily brought a lot of that to light for me, you know, over the years. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we we do talk about with our clients is that you can get to the mind through the body, but that doesn't mm -hmm. exclude you from needing to develop a toolkit yeah. to be able to do without the gym. Because otherwise, yeah. what you have is a dependency. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think that's what that's what you highlighted there. And and I everyone's been through this at some point to one degree or another. But it's it's an important point to make. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, you, you put it really well when you mentioned a toolkit. I know that that's, um, you know, some lingo that my dad uses a, a lot as well with clients is you have to build your toolkit. So what what is in your toolkit? The gym cannot be the only thing in your toolkit. Yes. And that's, that, that's great coming from somebody that had experience in the bodybuilding world, mm. right? Clearly dedicated himself in that pursuit, but also recognized the importance and the value of developing that toolkit for mental health. Yeah. I think the other, you know, big missing link there, especially from a bodybuilding component, which, you know, you can dive into this even more, but just disordered eating and eating disorders and orthorexia and, you know, mental health issues related to that gym related obsession or body dysmorphia or, you know, again, disordered eating patterns and, and whatnot. There's a whole other interplay there. And I would say that's just the other cool thing about having a therapist on staff with, with health and fitness coaches is that 
one, the coaches and the therapist can powwow, but also, of course, the, the clients, the therapist has an understanding of macros, the gym, bodybuilding, where I think a lot of other people, you know, can go to therapy and maybe say like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this fitness coaching program. And my coach has me tracking all these metrics and weighing my food and whatnot. And I think it's really easy for another therapist who doesn't know that space to say, oh, well, that's disorder. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's it's not healthy for you to be tracking your food like that. And so I think having that, uh, you know, ha- him having a background in health and fitness and therapy has has worked out really, really well for for us. Yeah. Now, a a strength that I think we both possess in our businesses is the way in which we value educating the client to be able to help them make decisions on their own, um, because ultimately we cannot be with them 24-7. But I think there's a shadow that comes with that as well, which is that a person who is being educated is demonstrating a willingness to be educated, which means they're also likely seeking out information on their own. And we end up finding ourselves in a place or they find themselves in a place where they are now in this sea of misinformation and disinformation. What do you do to kind of like stay in touch with your clients to make sure that they're not uh, hearing things outside of the work that you're doing with them to kind of distract them from the, the their main focus? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think there's a few things. So Inside, uh, what our what our coaches have, sorry, what our clients really, and our, I guess our coaches too, have access to is when when clients sign up to work with us, the first thing they'll get access to is our coaching portal. And so inside this portal, this is where everything is happening, right? Their training program is in here, their nutrition protocols are in here, they're doing check ins inside this programming, they're doing their messaging with their coaches inside this programming. There's also a video library, there's also a resource library. And so part of, you know, the education at level 10 that we very much value was building out this resource library so that if you needed a place to go to to look for more education and the answers to those questions, not only, of course, could you, you know, hopefully ask your coach, uh, but you could also default to those resources, you know, so there's like a 75 page, you know, long nutrition handbook in there and another 50 page long training and hypertrophy handbook in there and whatnot. Um, you know, so so that's a piece of it is one making the, the resources available to those clients um, Two, the other biggest piece here, I think, is effective communication between coach and client and having the connection to have those tougher conversations or having the connection so that a client feels comfortable asking those questions. So there are plenty of times where a client does come to a coach and say, hey, I saw this post on Instagram that said, you know, vegetables are bad for me and I, I, vegetables are poisonous and I shouldn't be eating vegetables. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? You know, and then that of course allows the opportunity for the coach to, to answer that question. But I, I think that we're, you know, something we very much pride ourselves on is building that coach client relationship and building that level of trust so that the client does feel comfortable asking those questions. Um, or feels like, Hey, yeah, I know, I know that's garbage. I don't even need to bring that to my coach because my coach would, would have a, you know, he would, would have something to say about it. Um, you know, and it's not that our way is the only way, but it's that we want to, we want to educate you and we want to take an evidence-based approach. And we hope that we have the relationships with our clients and, and aim to have the relationships with our clients where, if they do see something that seems questionable outside of what their coach is telling them to do or is in contrary to what their coach is telling them to do, they're going to bring it to their coach and and get an explanation from their coach. I love it. Well, let's take a step outside of our, our businesses here and outside of your business and let's talk about you know, let's take kind of a 30,000 foot view and look at the fitness industry as a whole. What do you think some of the gaps are currently? Yeah, sure. Um, so I do think that mental health is a, is a really, really big gap. Mental health and mindset, I think, are really big gaps in the coaching space specifically. Um, do you know Casey Joe? Do you know who that is on Instagram? I believe, she, yeah, I think She's a great so. person for you to talk to. If not, she's a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Casey Joe. She's a PhD in uh, health behavior change. And so she runs a certification, shameless plug here, Casey. Um, she runs a certification for coaches um, called the Health Mindset Coaching Certification. And she essentially teaches coaches 
how to dig into the mindset piece, because I think that oftentimes that is the missing link for a lot of coaches, right? They go get their precision nutrition cert and they go get their CPT or maybe they have their CSCS, but there's still this underlying mindset component, motivational interviewing component, habit change component, health behavior change component that uh, that is missing for a lot of coaches. They might have the content knowledge of training and nutrition, but I don't believe that that means you know how to coach someone. So I think that the mindset and mental health piece is a, is a really big missing uh, component there. Um, another gap, so to say, in the industry, uh, I would say, you know, as you mentioned before, the industry is fairly saturated. And, uh, and, and I don't necessarily say that as, as a bad thing. It just means there is a lot of great information and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think it's gotten really, really hard for the consumer to navigate what is evidence-based, what is helpful information, what is splitting hairs information versus what is actual, actually, you know, actionable steps that someone can take. Um, so I think that, you know, part of that maybe comes down to the barrier to entry in this industry being a little too low. Um, you know, you are someone that, you know, even the CSCS is, is, is a, you know, certification that is, uh, very much uh, praised, you know, in the industry for being a, a better uh, qualification, you know, among the coaching industry. And so sometimes I wonder if there was a, a different entry level, you know, for coaches, would, would we be in a different position as an industry in terms of information and, and disinformation or misinformation uh, if that, that entry level was different? Yeah, I'd like to speak to the first point first around mental health. Yeah. And that is, we always, I, I think of breaking down people's self-beliefs, especially the ones that are conflicting with the direction they want to go as being a paramount or priority in terms of the things you need to work th through with somebody to be able to create real behavior change. And I think one of the problems here is that it's a hard, it's a hard topic for people to tango with for the reason that self-beliefs, if they're deep enough, become almost like fact to mm. us. So the things that you actually have to break through with people, they don't see them as self-beliefs because they're held so tightly. Yeah. Do you find that this is one of the, the, the biggest struggles or at least difficulties in working with clients that have strong self-beliefs? Yeah, I, I do. I agree with you there. I remember having, um, you know, quite a few conversations with my dad over clients who were self-sabotaging. That was always something really fascinating to me. Like they'd have a few really, really great weeks crushing it, seeing awesome progress and then, you know, blow it, so to speak, um, you know, go off the rails, totally nuts. And then, then there's that guilt cycle that starts. And I remember having this conversation with my dad over like, why do people do that? Like, is there a reason? And he described that so much of people's identity, right, lies in their behaviors. And so if someone has only ever identified with being the obese person or the person that overeats or the lazy person or the person that uh, never works out or whatever it is, when they start to see new glimpses of that identity shifting based on their behavior change, it can be really overwhelming. It can be really scary because it's like they don't know that person. He said, so sometimes it's an identity-based issue of that person not, not even recognizing that version of themselves. And so there's this default back to old behaviors because there's a massive identity shift happening that they're not sure how to cope with yet. Yeah. And I think this is why it's so important to expose yourself to communities of people mm -hmm. that are like the person you want to become. And then there's a second tier to that, which is that you need to make sure that they are within your zone of proximal development. In other words, if you're a business owner and you're making $200,000 a year, you don't go into the group with you know billionaires, right? It's right. far beyond you. And what I think happens for people is that bending our reality or our perception of it is uncomfortable. But if you do it progressively at a rate that allows you to, to experience that discomfort, but also then to kind of level out and adapt to this new group, to this new ideology, to this new, um, you know, I, like idea of yourself, you can then acclimate in a way that you can kind of rise with the group. And then you just kind of keep playing this game. So I know you said you, you know, you have a community 
community aspect to what you do in your coaching. We obviously have one as part of our facility. Can you speak to the importance you think of, of being able to get around people that are like the person you want to become? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we send out feedback forms to all of our, our clients every few weeks. We have these mid-program feedback forms. We have these end-of-program feedback forms to let us know, you know, hey, how's your program going so far? What what have you learned? What are you still hoping to learn? What are you getting, you know, the most out of? You know, which aspects of level 10 are you really utilizing or underutilizing? And, and something that people always mention is I love the community aspect at level 10. Um, they feel like, you know, they don't just have their coach. They have all of the coaches to collaborate with. We do uh, monthly Zoom calls as well. So we have two Zoom calls every month. One is a mental health Zoom call specifically with a mental health educator that picks a, a certain mental health topic to go over with all of our clients. And then we have a non, non-mental health call that's just literally a community call for all of our clients and whoever wants to come can come and we have a theme and whatever else. Um, and that community aspect is so important for people. And um, you know, I, I really never realized how important it was for people until when the world shut down. And this is what's really interesting when, when the, when, sorry, when the world shut down, right. Via the pandemic, um, we had never had higher attendance on those zoom community calls at our team, you know, on our team. Uh, that was the highest attendance ever was, was during this shutdown where people needed community and they needed to see people. They weren't leaving their house. They weren't having the same social exposure as before. And they wanted to be around people who were doing similar things to them. And so um, I just always think that that's a really interesting play that, you know, it was the best attendance ever was. And not to say that it's that it's bad now, uh, but attendance was so high at that time because people really, really craved community and connection. And I always think that's an, an interesting aspect of it. Yeah, I actually can back that up because being a brick and mortar, we were obviously shut down for a little while, yeah. but the minute we were allowed to open, we had people that Flocking, were I'm the sure. safest. Well, and they were the safest type of person you could imagine outside of the facility, still ordering all their groceries, ordering everything on Amazon, avoiding contact with friends and even family in some instances, yet they would show up to the gym. And it was because they needed the workout, yeah. right? they needed that release. But in addition to that, they needed that kind of like empathetic experience and, and just like yeah. raw, real experience with, with the people that you know, for, for lack of better terms, you know, were used to suffering next to <laughs> for so long. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, the feedback that we often get from clients is that they're, they're just so glad that they have that community aspect because, you know, especially from an online coaching standpoint, um, you know, not, not everyone in your life, especially if you're brand new to this fitness journey, you talked before about surrounding yourself with people who want similar things than you, or, or even one step ahead of you, but not, you know, 20 steps ahead of you. Um, and a lot of people, they come to us, you know, as brand new clients and, you know, maybe they have a spouse who doesn't really support what they're doing, or maybe no one in their family, maybe they're, they're the first person in their family who's ever tried to take care of their health. And so a lot of people come um, for the, the accountability and not just the community, but the support that the community provides, because it might not be support that they have present, you know, physically present in their life. And so if they have an online community that they can rely on um, for some of that like-mindedness or similar goals, I think it's really helpful for people. Absolutely. I mean, environment's everything. And if you can't get it at home, you know, sometimes it could be through the online space and yeah. working with, you know, companies such as yours or, or physically being in a location um, with us. Um, now, you recently, uh, you know, in the last two years or so became a mom in addition to yeah. uh, running the business and, and developing everything, you know, how did that kind of open your eyes to the experiences of other mothers that are, you know, have highly demanding careers or even stay at home moms that are, yeah. you know, th that right there is a, a full time and a half job. Yeah. Uh, so how, did that give you a level of empathy for oh your clients? Oh my gosh. Yes. I live now, like literally every mom is a superhero. Every woman that has, you know, bared a child is just a hero in my world. <laughs> um, it has really, really shifted my mindset around, uh, motherhood, of course, you know, whether you are a business owner, whether you are a working mom, whether you are a full-time stay-at-home mom, 
it is all hard. <laughs> it is wonderful and amazing and fantastic and magical, but it's all hard. Whether you work, whether you own the business, whether you, you know, drop your kid off at daycare and then go to an office or whether you're home with your kids all day, um, it really, really opened up my eyes to, uh, honestly, the, the biggest mantra that it shifted. And I'm, I'm sure we've all heard the saying before, like we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And I'm just convinced we don't now. <laughs> I'm convinced <laughs> that moms do not have the same 24 hours in a day that everyone else has. Um, and, you know, I think it was really easy as like a 21 year old who had no kids and no house and, you know, very few bills to pay and whatnot. I think it's really easy for that, like, you know, little 21 year old fit fitness, you know, model bodybuilder, whatever to be like, we all have the same 21, you know, 24 hours in a day, you know, get it done. You just have to be dedicated. And then you got the mom who's like up at four in the morning, trying to get her workout in before her kid wakes up at five in the morning so that she could take the kid to daycare so that she could go to work for the day so that she could come home and pick up the next kid from school. And there, there is definitely a, um, a newfound level of respect <laughs> for other moms, especially moms who are trying to put their health and fitness first or have a place even for health and fitness in their lives because it, it is harder. I mean, it, it, it is harder. And when I do, let's say a Q and a on Instagram, man, 90% of the questions are like, how do you get the gym in as a mom? Or like, I feel guilty for working out as a mom. How do I get past that, that guilt? Um, and so, you know, there are all of these conversations now that I, I try to have with people. I just answered this question the other day over like, look, you can't take care of anyone else in your family if you don't take care of you first. And so I know that it is really hard to like leave your baby home and go to the gym because you feel like you should be home with them or you you feel like you should or, or you feel like you're supposed to. Uh, but I'm like, you are a better mom when you can take care of yourself. You're a healthier mom because you take care of yourself and you're going to be a more present mom because you take care of your health. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just reframing uh, that mindset for moms to help them realize that like you can do this. It's a lot. There's a lot going on, but you still have to prioritize yourself in some capacity. You know, my life looks a lot different as a mom gym wise uh, than it used to. You know, now it's more like, hey, sometimes I got to work out at home. Sometimes I can get to the gym. Sometimes it's a 45 minute workout. Sometimes it's a 65 minute workout. Uh, sometimes I have to go on the weekends. Sometimes I can't go on the weekends at all. Uh, versus pre-kids, it was like, I will go Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. every day. This will be my schedule you know, this will be my rest day. This will be that. There's just a lot more flexibility that, that I've had to allow for as a mom. Um, and I think that's, you know, just something you will soon learn in parenthood is flexibility, uh, oh, is, I can't wait. Is, a, is something you will quickly learn. Um, and also time management, you know, part of it is time management, but part of it is just accepting that no matter how much you would like to have a plan and a routine, baby has a different plan and a different routine. Um, so yeah, it's definitely shifted, uh, my thoughts around fit moms or moms getting to the gym. Um, but there's absolutely a way. And I promise that if you have a baby on the way, you will still be able to make time for your health. It just, it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a minute to just like get your bearings and then you'll be good to go. I appreciate the advice that got slid in there because uh, <laughs> I, I just got back from Austin with um, – I had a meetup with my mentorship group and I was uh, very selfishly picking the brains of everyone that's a parent, whether yeah. it be you know of recent or, or someone that had a little bit older kids. And it was so funny because like this was pretty – if I had to boil it down, it was like this. People would be like, it's going to be the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, but you're going to love it. Yeah, and be yes. Like, you're scaring the shit out of me. I, you know, It's like, really the best way to describe it and it sounds so funny. You don't really get it until until you're in it until you're the parent, but you're like, oh my God, this is the hardest, most exhausting thing I've ever done. And then they're like, wow, you're making it sound really fun. And you're like, no, no, no. It's the most amazing, incredible, miraculous thing in the whole world. Um, yeah. And be prepared for lots of feelings to coexist. It was, I remember, and you could, you could tell your wife this as well. I remember that in those early postpartum days, I was so overwhelmed by emotion because I don't think I had ever felt so many different things at once. Like, how could I feel so 
uh, uh, exhausted, but also feel so exhilarated. Like this is so, it's just so wild because there's a lot of coexisting emotions. Um, and that's just, you know, parenthood in a nutshell. Uh, but especially those early postpartum days, there's gonna be a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, but you will get through them all one day at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you know, you're coming from a place as somebody that is highly educated in this field and you have a team around you, um, that fills in any blind spots that you you may have. Um, were there any, was there anything that surprised you in motherhood? Um, from a business standpoint or from a mom standpoint? Let's do both. Okay. So mom standpoint, all of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All of it is surprising. Um, no, honestly, if I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be real here, um, I didn't I didn't know I would love it so much. And I know that that sounds like a really cheesy response. I always wanted to be a mom. Like I always wanted kids. I didn't know how absolutely incredible it would be, and how like you know when my baby turned six weeks and smiled, I was like, let's have five more. You know, like I did not expect that. (laughs) Um, So there was a lot I didn't expect about motherhood as a whole. I think, you know, you expect that it will be hard. You expect there will will be hard days. Um, But it is a level of love and excitement and pure joy that you just, you can't compare to anything else. And so uh, that was a a good surprising of like, wow, I I didn't know that I could, my heart could ever even feel this way. Uh, So that would be my, my mom related. Uh, surprise, business related surprise. Um, and, and this obviously ties into, of course, being a mom as well. But from a from a CEO standpoint, um, I didn't really get much of a maternity leave. <laughs> um, so that's that's part of it. Uh, you know, I tried to be stepped away for a few weeks. We batched as much as we could in advance. Um, I ha- handed off any, you know, Things that were just my tasks, I pretty much handed off to my assistant and was like, this is yours now. Here you go. Uh, Let me know if you need me. Um, So I tried to be stepped back. I was never fully removed. Um, That's just the the nature of being the entrepreneur. But um, I was never I was never gone from the business. Right. I was stepped back for maybe two weeks or so. And then I was really pretty much back into the swing of things. Um, But I would say something that I didn't expect, uh, I think I underestimated how, how do I put this? I think I underestimated the time management necessary to still be full-time CEO and also be a mom. Um, I think I thought that like, Oh, like babies just sleep all day and I'll just like get my work done then. And it it, it didn't go that way. It didn't work like that. Um, I think I underestimated the help that I would need. I think I thought like, because I work from home, I should be able to be the full-time stay-at-home mom and the full-time dual business owner, CEO, co-owner of of another business, et cetera. And so I think that that was um, a, a lesson that I had to learn pretty early on of like, I need someone here to help me. Like, I can't do this by myself. Once my husband went back to work, he had about a month of paternity leave. And then once he went back, it it was me and the baby home while also trying to run two businesses. And I was like, uh, okay, this is, this is like, I don't have as much time in in the day as I thought to get work done. Um, so I learned pretty early on that I was going to need a little bit more assistance. Um, and then that comes, you know, with a whole other slew of like, I shouldn't need help. I should be able to do it all on my own. And that, that whole mom guilt factor that plays in. Um, but lucky, lucky enough, I have a lot of local family. And so, you know, the baby's grandparents are local and aunts and uncles are local. And so, you know, I had a lot of help with family coming over. I had uh, an aunt that was coming over pretty consistently, um, you know, two or three days a week to, you know, help watch the baby so I could get work done, you know, and those would be my kind of designated heavy work days. And then on the days that she wasn't here, you know, work was pretty much um, moved to nap time, nap time or bedtime and whatnot. Um, yeah, I think I think and I'll I'll give you one more. I think the other thing that I didn't expect was feeling so strongly over keeping work and and baby stuff separate, which kind of sounds uh, you know, 
you, you would think like, oh yeah, work life is separate than personal life, but it's really easy to be like, oh, the baby's playing right now. Let me just like answer a few quick emails. Um, and, and I pretty early on was like, I don't, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want it to be like, oh, mommy's supposed to be playing with me right now. And she's on her computer. She's on her phone. I, I just early, pretty early on was like, you know what? I, if she is awake and I am home with her, then like I am in full mom mode. And when she is asleep or napping or in daycare, I am in full, you know, work CEO mode. And so separating those, um, has, has worked really well for me. And it's, um, it's something that I just prefer. It might not be everyone, you know, everyone's preference. Um, but that was something that I think I also didn't, you know, expect to feel that strongly about was keeping those very separate. I love that you shared that. I have found that I have naturally gravitated towards the successful business owners that do just that. Mm. Um, they're both incredibly efficient with their time and very hyper-focused when they need to be, yeah. but they also know how, know how to say no and they know how to draw lines in the sand when it comes to separating that CEO life, yep. the on-the-floor coaching life from their yeah. family life. Yeah. Yeah. You become really uh, choosy about your time and energy. I think once, once you become a parent, your time's a little bit, your time and your energy are a little bit more limited. Uh, you have to learn to get efficient and set better boundaries around work and family. Um, if you don't want to be burnt out on both. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joelle, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun to chat it out. No doubt. I'm sure uh, we could have gone in a million different directions, but yeah. we can save it for another time. For sure. We'll have to have you on uh, on 10 Talks on my podcast as well. Oh, I, I would love it. Yeah, I would love it. For sure. Um, well, hey, tell the audience where they can learn more about you. Yeah, of course. So uh, Instagram is definitely my main hub. I'm not as cool as all the TikTok kids yet, but maybe one day. Um, so you can find me at Joelle Samantha on Instagram. Um, and if you want to look into our coaching at all, you can find us at level 10 coaching, T-E-N, not the number, uh, level 10 coaching.co or uh, level 10 coaching on Instagram. I love it. Yeah. Well, hey, cool. thanks again for hopping on. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. See ya. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.